Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for everything that you've that you've done for us, and we thank you for making it clear to us, Father, so that we can understand it, we can rejoice in it, we can talk to one another about it, and we can learn. And we thank you, Father, for the uh, for the tools and the, and the heart to to search your word, to dig out the the hid treasures that are there. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that reveals them to us. And we pray, Father, that you would do that for us tonight as you guide us through your word one more time in our Savior's name. Amen. Sixteen. Last chapter. Yes, we yes we did. Now, Paul, I told you, uh, I said to you last time that at the end of verse 15 is actually the uh, kind of the end of the of the body of the epistle. In uh, verse 32, he says that I may come unto you with joy by this in chapter 15, verse 32, with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And that's uh, that benediction there. That's that's an ending. And then in chapter 16, what chapter 16 is is uh, three separate postscripts, uh, PSs, that that Paul continues to uh, uh, to add to this letter, this book of Romans. And this first half of the chapter uh, of chapter 16 here is uh, a very personal. Uh, set of greetings by the Apostle Paul. And let's just uh, go down through here, and I'm going to struggle through these names and see if we can uh, see if we can make our way down through the passage. Let's read the first several verses. Chapter 16, verse 1, Paul says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sancreia, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that you assist her in whatever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And he, he, well, he goes down, let's stop there, and he just starts naming people. And it's amazing as you go through this, the fact that we've seen already that the Apostle Paul has never been to the church at Rome. And yet he knows all of these people. He knows all of these people by name. You remember I, I, I talked to you last week a little bit about where he talks about being filled with their company. And that's, uh, that's the kind of guy Paul was. He, he, he was a person, whether he was that way naturally or, uh, or, or became that way in Christ, in the, how he calls in the bowels of Jesus Christ, it's hard to tell. And that's a tremendous testimony. It should be said uh, about all of us that it's hard to tell what we are naturally uh, versus what we are in, in Christ because, um, because everything we do looks like it's in Christ. But Paul, uh, he, was, he was a befriender of people. He got, he got to know people and he got personal with people, and that's a uh, that's the way the Lord was, and um, and of course that's that's the way God is, and so the apostle he uh, he made it his business to get to know these saints. He wasn't just uh, head counting. 
He wasn't just going into these cities and these different places and starting up these churches, gathering as many uh, people as he could, and you know teach them kind of in mass and then leave. Again, he's never been to Rome, but all these people, as they traveled and as Paul came across them in his travels, he knows them, he remembers them, he knows them by name, and he and he's keeping up with them because he obviously he knows that all of these people right now at this time are in Rome. Now, obviously, they weren't in Rome when he met them because he'd never been to Rome, or he hadn't been to this church anyway. So. Uh, so just by the fact that all of these greetings are here gives us a little bit of insight into, uh, into, the, into the heart and the personality of the Apostle Paul and how he uh, dealt with, with people. And the first thing he says, he says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. Now, by the way, there are 27 names, 27 people that he names in this, in this passage, uh, several people who he, he doesn't name, out of those 27 that he names, nine of them, a third, are women. And he commends them as his helpers and, and laborers, workers together with him, and so forth. This uh, Phoebe here is more than likely uh, the deliverer of this letter. He committed to her hand the book of Romans, the original manuscript of the book of Romans to take from Corinth where he wrote it and deliver it to the saints at Rome. Uh, she is apparently a, uh, a, a strong woman, uh, uh, looks like a business woman, a kind of take charge type woman. And Paul doesn't seem to have any problem with that, by the way, contrary to what people in the world will tell you about what a chauvinist he was. Um, he says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria. Now, the, the, uh, the word there is the word deaconess. Uh, the female form of the word deacon. And she is, you know, Paul says, I, I will not suffer a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man. But that doesn't mean that he didn't, uh, he didn't look to them and count on them to be active and strong, uh, edifying, contributing members of these local assemblies that he was starting. You see throughout the book of Acts that uh, some of the Jews believed and many of the honorable women among the Greeks believed. And you, you see that all through Paul's uh, ministry. He, he did not, uh, with all of his chauvinism, just personality-wise, he did not repel uh, women from the faith. That's not, uh, he was not what the world depicts him to be, nor is the Bible what the world depicts it to be when it comes to its, uh, its thoughts and regard and esteem for women. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. Now there's a, um, there's a hint there to me, and we won't take this kind of time on all of these verses, but when he says, receive her as becometh saints, he's, he, it seems to me like he's telling them, behave yourselves, guys. When, when, when she comes into the church, she's a sister. 
don't uh, don't get the idea that uh, you know don't get any other ideas. Receive her as becometh saints. Um, that you assist her in whatever business she hath need of you. So she's going to come in there. She's got some things to do in Rome. She didn't just go to deliver the letter. She was on her way there. Paul gave it to her. Um, we don't know that 100%, but it, it, uh, it, it looks very, very likely to me and to most people that, that talk about this passage. But she's a businesswoman. She's got things to do in Rome and in the church there. She's got some people to talk to and things to take care of. And he says, you all assist her. Ask her what she needs. Let her tell you what to do. And you go and, uh, and, and help her out. In whatever business she hath need of you, uh, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Now that word, uh, succor, you see that word. Um, several times in the Bible. Get, let's get, take this opportunity to get a definition here. Get 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's find out what that word succor means. Succor. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is quoting Isaiah chapter 49. So let's get that also. Isaiah, uh, 2 Corinthians 6 in one hand, Isaiah 49 in the other. You know the Bible is its own dictionary, right? If you want to find out what a Bible word means, you get another verse that explains the first verse. And the, and the language will become clear to you. That way you find out not what uh, E.W. Vine or even Webster thinks a word means, which are fine, I have nothing against those definitions, but what you want to know is what does God mean? when he uses these words. So you want to let the Bible be your dictionary. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Now Paul is quoting from um, Isaiah chapter 49, so turn there. He uses that word succor. Isaiah 49, verse 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. Well, there you go. Paul quotes it. He says, Have I succored thee? Isaiah says, Have I helped thee? So you get an idea of what the word succor means. So you say, Well, that's pretty simple. Why didn't Paul just say helped? Well, because succor, it means help, but it, but it has a uh, it has a further and a, and a deeper connotation to it. Read on in the verse and get the full definition here. Thus saith the Lord: In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate uh, heritages. So the idea there is it's not just help, like, you know, I'm carrying one end of a dresser and you carry the other end. That's not so much succor. He says, I will help thee and I will preserve thee. The idea there is to, is to come alongside as in battle. 
When David was, uh, was, was worn out from battle and the enemy was coming in and had him right in their sights and, and was about to kill him, um, I'm not going to be able to remember the name, but his, his comrade came along and it says he succored him. He, he, he came to bolster him and to help him and to preserve him. That's why, so that's the idea of succor. Uh, Hebrews says that the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was tempted, he is able to succor them. Also to bolster, to, to preserve, to protect, to strengthen and, and come alongside. So back in, uh, in Romans chapter 16, the idea there is um, that she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. The idea there is, a, is, a, is just that. Help, preserve, and even protect, which is the original Greek word there. The idea is a protector. So this woman, she's, uh, she's really something. She's, Paul's got a lot of confidence in her. She's a uh, strong woman. She's a faithful woman. And um, he, he entrusts this book of Romans into her hand to deliver it safely to the saints at Rome. So he says, receive her. Verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Now we know Priscilla and Aquila, right? Um, come back to Acts chapter 18. Like I said, we're not going to look up every one of these folks because a lot of these names, this is the only place they're mentioned. But these first couple, you get a chance to kind of look at a little bit and it gives you an idea of the kind of people that, that he's saying hi to. Acts chapter 18. Aquila and Priscilla met up with Paul. Aquila and Priscilla were from Rome. They were, uh, as far as we can tell by the record, the uh, uh, natives of Rome. San, is that door locked? Bob's coming up. And they got kicked out of Rome uh, here in Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, well there's his nativity, lately come from Italy. So he was not native uh, from Italy, but he was there in Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And he came unto them. So Aquila and Priscilla are uh, um, persecuted and chased out of Rome where they, where they were and they come to uh, Corinth and they cross paths with the Apostle Paul. And because, verse 3, he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And that's how you find out the Apostle Paul was a tent maker by occupation, and so were Aquila and Priscilla. So they uh, met, they got together, uh, they took Paul into their residence, and they worked together. They went into business together, as it were. And he, uh, so, so that's Aquila and Priscilla. That's the meeting there. Now, if you look over in, um, if I can look over, the uh, verse 24 of the same chapter, you get a little bit of a, now, now during this uh, business venture, them working together, making tents and so forth, Paul 
obviously communicates the gospel to them. They get saved, and they are kind of, Aquila and Priscilla are, are in here on the ground floor of this, uh, of this new message and this new ministry by the Apostle Paul. As he's getting revelations and writing these letters, these epistles, he's communicating that doctrine to the people around him, Aquila and Priscilla being among them. Verse 24, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak, so, so Apollos here is, uh, you, you, you see in that verse, just uh, one thing after another to his credit, just describing uh, the, the zeal and the, and the eloquence and the fervor of, of, this, uh, of this man and the intellect and, and his ability to debate and, and uh, uh, give an apologetic. But he's lacking in, uh, in dispensational uh, progression. He's not perfect. He's not up to speed in the, in the program. He, all he knows is the baptism of John. By the way, knowing only the baptism of John doesn't mean that he didn't know about Jesus Christ. He's telling these people about Christ. He's convincing the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But it says that he only knew the baptism of John. And that's another, you, you know by that verse and by so many others, that the ministries there were, were, were the same. The Lord Jesus Christ carried on the ministry that John the Baptist started. When, uh, uh, when you're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's what you're preaching, what you're preaching is the baptism of John. And... Uh, what he doesn't know is that the Holy Ghost has come and the things that have transpired since then. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when, uh, verse 26, when Aquila and Priscilla heard, now Paul has left, and, they're, and they're, uh, Aquila and Priscilla are still here, and along comes this guy Apollos, and when they heard, they took him un unto them, probably into their house, uh, like they did Paul, Aquila and Priscilla were uh, hospitable people. They had church, they had a church in in Rome in Romans chapter 16. Paul says so. They had one in Corinth too. Every, everywhere they moved, they had the saints coming into their home. So they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. See, they brought him up to date. They gave him the dispensational scoop. And um, when he was disposed to pass through Achaia, and uh, he, he goes on there and he mightily convinces the Jews uh, that Jesus was Christ. So you see these folks, they get saved, they meet Paul, they, they, they begin to minister, and, uh, um, and they continue to do that. Now Paul says, back in Romans 16, he gives us a piece of information about Aquila and Priscilla that you don't, find, at least not clearly, in the book of Acts. Apparently they had uh, gone so far as to, as to uh, endanger their own lives, to lay down their own uh, life, or at least were, uh, were willing to. 
for Paul's sake. He says, uh, verse 3 again, Romans 16, verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So Aquila and Priscilla have gone back to Rome now, where they got kicked out from in the first place. Apparently, things had eased up. So now they're back in Rome. This is not too long after uh, chapter eight, Acts chapter 18, where we just read, where they were thrown out. And they're there, and uh, he says, say hi to them, verse 5, likewise greet the church that is in their house. So there, now that, what you have there in verse 5 is the first of three churches that are mentioned here. Uh, the, the churches at Rome. The, the church at Rome wasn't one big church where all the saints in Rome came and, and gathered together. There were several assemblies, at least three. There are three that Paul names in this chapter. And they were meeting in houses like all the uh, early saints did. And Aquila and Priscilla have one of the churches at Rome meeting in their house. So he says, greet the church that is in their house. By the way, you can't greet a building. You know, a church is a church is, and that's that's a good verse for you for somebody who thinks a church is a building. You greet the church. You're you're who? What are you greeting? You're greeting the people. Salute my well beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Now, apparently, Epinetus, if I'm saying that correctly, Epinetus, uh, was of the household of Stephanus. Because at uh, the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that the household of Stephanus was the first fruits of Achaia. First people to get saved when Paul went into Greece. And it also says about them, uh, you know what, take a look at it. Just one book over to the end of 1 Corinthians. This came up last week or the week before, whatever it was. And I just love this verse. Um, there's a, a church in the house in verse 19, 2 Corinthians 16:19, but um, verse 15, Paul says, "I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia." So Eponidas is apparently of the family of the house of Stephanus. And that they, that house, including him, I would suppose, have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And that's a, that's a great thing, to be addicted to the ministry of the saints. I think we, we talked about that a little bit. That verse came up last week. Um, there again where Paul says that I be somewhat filled with your company. And that's the idea there. Uh, I've got a I've got an emptiness without the saints. I'm addicted to the to to the ministry, to the company, to the uh, fellowship of the saints. So he says, um, "My well beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ." Verse six. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Now we don't know who Mary is. You know that there were several Marys uh, throughout the Gospels. It was a common name. Um, doesn't say anything more about her other than she bestowed much labor on us. You know, as, you, as we go down through this, think about what Paul says about each of these people. And uh, 
wouldn't it be great just to have your name just just mentioned with a little just a little blurb from the from the apostle Paul some some word of commendation this way who bestowed much labor on us salute Andronicus and Junia my kinsmen so these are uh, relatives of Paul and my fellow prisoners so they've been in jail like he has for the gospel who are of note among the apostles so they uh, they're Jews like in Paul's family and were involved in the in the uh, in the kingdom church who also were in Christ before me. So there again, they were part of that little flock, or at least of that growing uh, remnant of, of believers back there. Now, it's interesting. He says they were in Christ before me. Well, now they're in the church at Rome. Well, I mean, who's he writing to here? He's writing to members of the body of Christ, right? Now, there's a debate in grace circles you know, do, did people get transferred from the kingdom church into the body of Christ at some point? And I'm not here to take a side on that debate. I just think that this statement right here is interesting in that regard. They started out over there, and now here they are at Rome, and Paul's writing to them as much as anybody else. Um, who were in Christ before me. Not in the body of Christ, but in Christ. Greet... Uh, Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. I wonder what Apelles did to, to, get that, uh, to get that little designation there. I mean, we're all approved in Christ, right? Uh, Apelles, apparently, that's what Paul thought about when he thought about Apelles. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. So salute the family there. He doesn't say salute Aristobulus. It's possible that Aristobulus may, be, uh, may have died and uh, left, the, uh, left the household behind. Salute uh, Herodian, my kinsman. There's another kinsman. Now there he doesn't say they're my fellow prisoners or anything about him. He kind of separates him from the other kinsmen. Maybe Herodian didn't really do much. Um, and you know, that's uh, something to think about too. What would, if Paul was writing to us, to this church, and he knew all of us here by name, well, what would he say? What would he say about you? What's, what, what, uh, what am I doing here that stands out? That, that, I mean, what would I be, what would come to his mind? an interesting question. I know it's hard to judge ourselves in that in that regard or impossible, but there are some people here who he commends with particular descriptions and some people he just says kind of say hi. Nothing in particular comes to mind. Just something to chew on, I guess. Approved in Christ, uh, Aristobulus household, verse 11 again, salute uh, Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet, greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Uh, so there's another family there. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa. Uh, uh, I would imagine that those were siblings and, and sisters. 
who labor in the Lord, salute the beloved Persis, another female name, which labored much in the Lord. You notice that labored is past tense there. Persis may be uh, old. She's obviously not dead because he says to salute her. But uh, Persis, I speculate, is the kind of woman that Paul had in mind when he talked about the widows. Uh, who are who are widows indeed, the aged, who have washed the saints' feet and been diligent in service to the Lord. And per- he says she labored. She probably doesn't labor so much anymore, but uh, she labored much in the Lord. She has a legacy of uh, of, of of good, solid service in in Christ. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now, Rufus, you see that name um, one other time in the Gospel of Mark uh, when the Lord is carrying the cross and He falls and uh, another name is going to escape me. Who, who helped the Lord with the, with the cross? What was His name? It might escape you too. I feel better. Um, Simon. But there was another. Simon of Serene, right? Or, yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, it, it, Mark makes a point of saying who his kids were. And one of them was Rufus, as if the readers of Mark's Gospel might know these people. He was, by the way, kind of, he was the father of Rufus and another person. So this may or may not be, you know, these names like, like yours and mine, you know, we're not the only ones that have them. But, uh, but he says... Salute Rufus and his mother and mine. And that doesn't mean that Rufus was Paul's brother, or at least biological brother, but Rufus' mother apparently uh, earned herself a, a very close and, and intimate place in, in the heart of the Apostle Paul, acted uh, and, and, and cared for him like, uh, like his mother. You know, the, uh, the Lord said that if to whoever leaves home, houses, lands, Families, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, you will receive wealth and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Uh, when when Mary and Jesus brothers came to to him, he said, "Who is my mother? All of these people that believe, they're my mother." So that's that's the idea here. Paul says, "Rufus, his mother and mine." Salute. Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, sorry, Hermas, Petrobus, and Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Now there's your second local assembly, your second uh, church in Rome. So these, uh, these folks here, he names uh, a few of the people in the assembly, and then he says, say hi to all the folks that meet uh, with that group in that church. Salute Philologus. And Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. There's the third. So you've got three, at least, three local assemblies that Paul mentions in Rome, three different churches uh, meeting. Now, by the way, these churches are obviously talking with each other. Uh, they're, they're, they can, they're, Paul asks them, you know, greet each other. There's an affiliation. It's not a denomination, 
but it's an but it's an affiliation. These uh, Paul, you know, when he talks to the Corinthians, he talks about you know their poverty, your abundance, you know. You can send to them when you're rich and they're not. They can send to you when they're rich and you're not. And and you've got, there's expected to be, each assembly is independent, but there's expected to be a fellowship, an inter-assembly fellowship. And these grace churches, much the way we do with other grace churches, uh, communicate and keep in touch, keep in contact. I'm sure when Phoebe came and said, I've got a letter from the Apostle Paul to all the saints here that they all gathered together for the, for the reading of, of this letter. They had a conference and, and read the original manuscript of the, of the book of Romans from the hand of the Apostle Paul. Or rather from the hand of Tertius, as you'll see as we go down. Um, so, he, so he names all of those people and says, salute them. Then verse 16, he says, salute one another with an holy kiss... The churches of Christ salute you. Now, as we come down further into this passage, and we will, we've got the time here, um, you start to get an inclination here in the church or the churches at Rome that everything's not all lovey-dovey and, uh, and, and peaceful in, in, this, uh, in, in these assemblies. And that doesn't surprise us. I don't think everything is all lovey-dovey and peaceful anywhere that you go. But you start to get the idea as you continue to read. First you're reading through these verses and he's going, say hi to this one, say hi to that one, okay. But then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's He's, he's getting as personal as he can with these folks that he's never been to visit and probably had you know just passing encounters with a lot of these uh, folks. Some of them helped him. Doesn't say how long, how much. But he, he talks about my well-beloved and he names them and beloved in the Lord and accepted in the Lord and he names them. And then he says, now all of y'all, greet one another. I've just, I've just kind of laid it out for you here. Greet one another with a holy kiss as if maybe some of these folks that he's naming here weren't of such high regard in the churches. And Paul's commending them and saying, look, this guy here, he's approved in Christ. I don't know, you know, what he did to you, what he didn't do to you. He works, he doesn't work. You don't like the way he does this, the way he does that. He's approved in Christ. Tell him Paul says hi. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do when you're the mature and helpful and wonderful saint in the church and the uh, annoying brother that sits down the row over there he's just you know we'd really he just rather find someplace else and then he gets named and you don't then what so Paul says salute one another with a holy kiss all of you are commendable you're all in Christ the churches of Christ salute you and he goes on with this 
to give you more of an inkling of what's going on. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. So there are some folks in these assemblies here who are causing divisions and offenses. And that's what he's been talking about in this section of Romans. He spends a lot of time talking about divisions and offenses. That's what we've been studying in the last few chapters. And not to, to receive one another and not to despise and not to judge and not to, not to be causing schism in the body and so forth. Now here, he says, not only should you not do it, but mark them that do, that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you have learned and avoid them. Now what doctrine is he talking about? Well, we've just been studying in these last several chapters, but come over to Ephesians chapter 4 and let him encapsulate it for you. Ephesians chapter 4, where he tells the saints to strive for the unity that is in Christ. You know, people people look at that verse, they're causing divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Well, that means that they're teaching uh, some doctrine that we don't agree with. So what we need to do is we need to, uh, to stand up against them. Well, I'll tell you what, somebody comes in uh, teaching heresy, then you ought to stand up against them, and you better stand up against them, and, and we'll stand up against them together. But, but you know, you believe one thing about some issue, and, and the other one believes another thing about some issue, and I believe a third thing about that issue, and, and it is not for us all to, uh, to bite and devour one another over these things. The doctrine that you've learned is not to cause divisions and offenses. That's when someone causes division, that's what's contrary to the doctrine. The doctrine is, don't do that. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing and forgiving, uh, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we are to endeavor, to strive, to fight, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, sometimes that may mean, you know, when you mark somebody, mark them that cause divisions and offenses and avoid them. Paul's saying, call them out. Name them. The, the Apostle Paul was not afraid to name names. He was, I mean, you know, go through especially the pastoral epistles when he tells Timothy to be careful about this one and watch that one and keep your eye on that one. And he names names. Alexander and Hermogenes and Philogeles and, and all of those people there. Paul was not afraid to name names. That's what he's saying. Mark them. Mark them. God put a mark on Cain. And avoid them. Now it's interesting. Someone who's causing division, we should avoid. Someone who's trying to cause separation, we should separate from. And that's the... Uh, the irony of uh, of that of that principle and of that doctrine. Now, what is this? We're endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit here in Ephesians chapter four, based on what? Based on some doctrine. There is one body. 
and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And those are uh, dispensational distinctives that make us one. And and the the problem that Paul had primarily was the was the Judaizers who came in and tried to separate off disciples with circumcision and with with things other than these things here the one baptism we got people that want to cause division in the church now over this issue of baptism there's only one baptism somebody else comes in with some other baptism wanting to uh, tell you that you need to submit yourself to some other baptism you mark them and avoid them because he's trying to separate you there's one baptism all the body of Christ takes takes uh, part in that one baptism and all of the other baptisms do nothing but split us apart and cause denominations and factions and fractions uh, one body one spirit one hope one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all so so that's the that's the doctrine that's the doctrine that we hold to that doctrine the doctrine of the body of Christ Paul's doctrine is a doctrine of unity that's why Paul says if he's causing division he's doing it contrary to the doctrine because the doctrine is about unity it's about oneness. All of these things that, uh, that Paul taught were revealed to him that we have in common. That's how we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Those things are specific to Paul's message. It was a message of unity. So back in uh, Romans, and we'll quit. So... Paul says, don't let someone come in with other doctrine or just uh, just for whatever reason, in whatever way, trying to drive wedges between you. When someone comes in and does that, you mark that person. And you know the, uh, the, the, uh, the procedure in the Gospels, and it's, a, and it's a, a, one that's probably the better part of discretion. You go to the brother first, and you say, hey, what are you doing here? And if he won't listen to you, maybe you know you get a couple others. And you go, hey, what are you doing here? But ultimately, you got to go. You know what? You're 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 a cancer in this church, and we need to do some surgery here. Paul expects us to do that. He says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. The Thessalonians, he tells, to avoid them that walk disorderly, but don't treat them like an enemy. Don't get all mad at them and say, oh, he's a cursed person now. Admonish him as a brother. But put them out. I mean, if it comes to it, don't let them come in and, 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 and split you all up. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They got ulterior motives. If they were serving the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be striving and endeavoring along with you for unity. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. 
And uh, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what. Let's read through here, and we'll and we'll leave it read, and maybe we'll come back next week and and look a little bit deeper into that. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. Now, what Paul is telling them here is, you guys are famous for your faith, for your obedience, for your labor. The churches at Rome are known. Now, that's a good thing, he's going to go on to say. I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf. But, it's also, your, uh, your, your, you've made yourself, glory to God, a magnet for these, uh, these, other, these people who are going to want to come in, and these vultures, and feed on, uh, on your flesh. And on, on the work that you've done, they're going to want to come in and uh, because you're successful and live off of your success and they will destroy you in the process. So he says, for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And so... You know, don't don't fall for the idea that well, if you've never experienced this, uh, you know, sin, then you can't talk about it. Paul says you don't need to be delving into uh, into evil so that you can be wise concerning it. He says if you want to be wise, be wise what in what's good and be simple. Be stupid about evil things. Don't don't know it. Be ignorant about sin. That's okay. <laughs> and the God of peace, you do all of that. And the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Now that, that statement there, that's got nothing to do with the second coming of Christ or anything else. It's talking about what's going on in that church at Rome. And that the devil, Diablo, the one who, who, who drives wedges between, is at work in these assemblies. And Paul's saying, do what I'm telling you to do. And, and Satan, what he's doing in, that, in, your, in your midst will be, will be crushed under your feet and it won't take long. We'll stop there. Uh, so in this kind of meet and greet and hey, say hi to, you know, there's, uh, there's some pretty heavy and good uh, solid instruction just kind of peppered uh, in, this, in this last chapter.